Father in heaven, I ask that you would bless me with your spirit, that you would put your hand upon me and put in my mouth the things and in my heart the things that I need to say. I pray that you would give me holy boldness to say those things that are hard to say and that you would give me joy in the great things that you have done. I ask you, Father, that your angels would attend us here, that you would be with our church as we are, as we are all spread out. Give us the wisdom and the knowledge and put in our hands those things that we need to do to come together again. Thank you so much for watching over us through all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to tell you a little story about when I was a kid. Now, we have five kids in our family, um, three older sisters, a, my poor brother in the middle, and then a, a little sister. And we lived in a neighborhood in Maryland, and the funny part about this this neighborhood was that we uh, had a lot of kids and we had one neighbor in our, in our road, in, in our little area that refused to, in any way, shape, or form, help us as kids to have a place to play. Now, all the other neighbors would not park their cars like right at in front of the houses, they would park them up by their driveways so that we could play ball, so that we could always be in the center and all the parents kind of knew where we were. And it was so much fun. We had such a good time, but we had one neighbor. We had this one neighbor who just parked her car right in the middle of everything so none of us could play. And I began to look upon her as the enemy that there was just something wrong with this woman. And the other thing that had happened was that between our two houses, we, the yards were split and we had fences on both sides, one for hers and ours. And as kids, we would go running around the house. We had a huge backyard. All the kids always played at our house. And uh, just about the time we would go running, Somehow, if you stepped over her property line, I did not know how she always knew it, but she always seemed to know that somebody had stepped across the grass into her yard, and it would be bang, 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 like this, you know? And it was so upsetting that it was like she stood there all day long waiting for us. And so we finally, including my sister Joan, who was quite a pickle, she's, she's a character, you think I'm a character, my sister Joan, oh my goodness. Um, so we figured out where the property line, now we were all little, I don't know how we did this. And we figured it out, and we sat one inch on our side of the property line and waited and waited for her to come to the window, and there we would all be lined up right on the property line, waving at her. Hi, you know? And, and we would take turns as to who was watching the window, so we would make sure we would wave. And every now and then, my sister Joan would kind of put her toe over the line. And, and no, that's not true. <laughs> that part is not true. I just wanted to mess with my sister when she asked to listen to this on the tape. But we would sit there, and it, it, was, 
It was a pain, and this woman was never kind. She was never nice, and she had children. And her son was the same way. And for us, it was us and them. It was us and that family, us, the, all the kids in the neighborhood, and this one family. And uh, so the son in the family had a lot of Barbie dolls, which we thought was disturbing. You know, that was the time. And we remember he decided to have a funeral for all of his dolls. He put them in a box. He got all the kids in the neighborhood lined up to have this funeral. Well, we just thought that was the weirdest thing we'd ever heard of. So we watched him as they all lined up, and he went and he buried the dolls. Well, my sister Joan, and this is part is true, my sister Joan decided it would be interesting if we went and dug them up and put them in his window. Okay? And this was the time period where there was, and I did not grow, at, grow up Adventist, there was a television show called Dark Shadows, and it was, it was like a soap opera with vampires. And so all of a sudden, um, the next day, he woke up, and there were all the dolls sitting in his window. And so he went throughout the neighborhood and told all the kids that they had resurrected. And so we, we thought, you know, we just thought it was hilarious at the time. But now I began to realize later this guy became a priest, which was kind of cool because he already knew how to do funerals and everything. And this, probably the hilarious part of this is that they didn't know that I got into pastoring and preaching and things like that. So uh, they would be really shocked when we all get to heaven. But I remember this feeling of, I knew she thought she was better than us because she made that clear. But there was a sense that we were better than her. That somehow, um, because she was like this, that we were the moral ones, that we were the right doers, that we were the common sense. And I want to talk about this in the Bible because I think what's happening to us in the world right now, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, us against them. Us against them. So I want you to look in your Bibles, and I'm going to have you turn to Luke 18, verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is always the stand of the Pharisees. And whenever we begin the process of pointing you, you protester, you 
Republican, you Democrat, you cop. When we start doing this, something changes in us because we begin to think I'm superior and they're inferior. And we start a process that has been all throughout history, all throughout history of us versus them. We are the righteous ones. They are the evil ones. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1, 6 through 10. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all the generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then the new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, and they will become even more numerous. If war breaks out, um, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So here you have the scenario, why are they putting the Israelites into slavery? Because they're afraid. And fear actually enters into their imagination and something that has never happened to them. The Israelites have never turned against them. And instead of thinking, wow, we have so many Israelites with us, this is great. If we ever get in a war, we're going to have a lot of people to fight for us. But instead, their minds go negative. And when they feel fear, they say, those Israelites, those Israelites, we got to get control of those Israelites. And you see that. We got to get control of them. And we got to take them under. And it says that they, they were bitter to them. They were, the work they put upon the Israelites was heartbreaking in order to try to get control of those Israelites. So we have the beginning of what happens when fear enters into us. Um, I know one of the pieces of history that affects me a lot is what happened to the Jews in the, in the Holocaust. And we see this very big. It became, they, they didn't just start hating them and killing them. They started with dehumanizing them. They begin to break them down so that they're not people anymore. Oh no, they were rats. They were rats and they were stealing food from your children's mouth. And the, the, the poisonous lies that come in and it begins to affect, well, we got to get rid of these people. We got to get rid of them. So you see, by the time that fear, by the time those lies made their way out, six million people died. Six million people died that Christ loved, that God loves. And it's not just there. In America, when the, when, as we began to move across America, Indians were put on reservations, taken away, forced to sign away their land. But the most horrible thing that happened was they took their children. There were almost 800 schools that they created to get the Indian out of the Indians. 
They confiscated their children and they took away their names, they took away their language. And whether you agreed or not, they considered those Indians devils. Just like my neighbor, I'm sure, considered all of us devils. She used to call us the little devils. And here they are, they're saying, oh, these are heathen. We need to get hold of them. Even in slavery, that same mentality of these people, we have to put them in slavery to save their souls. Long history, Protestants and Catholics in Prague, there's a tower there. And when the Catholics were in control, they throw the Protestants out the windows of the towers then the Protestants would get in control and they'd throw the Catholics out. This went on for generations. Every time somebody got power, they would throw the people the opposite side. Whenever you don't agree with me, then you must be wrong. And if I'm right, you're definitely wrong. Because there can never be anything in between. We have history so much history of us and them, us being the superior ones in which God loves and them being the animals which need to be gotten rid of. We as Christians got to have to guard our minds against this. It is so easy for us to say we are the right and they are the wrong. And let me tell you, I am, I asked to speak about this because I got in a fight with a very good friend over politics. And it crossed my mind as it happened because I love this person very much. And it was like, are we not going to be able to talk to each other anymore? We're, we're all Christians. We're all in the same church, same group. And I thought, and it, 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 it ate my soul that I had been sucked in because we have a very specific mission that has been given to us by God to rise above superiority, inferiority, and whether we agree or disagree, to see the humanity in the humans around us. And to, to see and, and love them the way Jesus loved them. Um, let me go on. Uh, one of the things that happened in my life that was bizarre was I worked as a night director for a home for um, mentally handicapped adults. And one night I, I got in a riot <laughs> and... <laughs> A little tiny riot, but it was a riot. And we were, um, I, I don't even know, it's all of a sudden something happened and this lady tried to hit me. And so I backed into my room to get away from the situation. And all of a sudden, everybody, all the people in the house went berserk. And they began to bang on my door, we're gonna kill you we're going to get you, you know? And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know what it was about. So I tried to pick up the phone. I want to call the police to have them come and intervene. 
Everybody else that was working was at a Christmas party, so couldn't reach them. So I'm trying to call the police, and one of the ladies that I worked with was pretty high-functioning, and she was trying to call the police, but she didn't know how to do it. And I kept saying, hang up. I'll call the police. Wait a minute, I think I can do it. And she would, we'd hear this beep, beep, beep. I was like, please hang up. And all of a sudden, maybe 15 minutes later, um, everything got really quiet. And at this point, there were people running around the yard screaming and yelling. It was very difficult. And I hear this knock. It's very quiet. He's, this is the police, the such-and-so police. And I was like, oh, I opened the door, and I threw my arm. I was crying. It was terrible. Was like, he goes, who are you? I said, I'm the manager. <laughs> you know? And he started laughing at me. He goes, what happened? I said, I don't really know. And he goes, well, I need you to come downstairs and talk to the people. And so I went downstairs, and they were all sitting on the couch, terrified, because they themselves didn't know that they could act like that. And when you talk to people that live through, I've lived through a lot of riots in Washington, D.C., through the 60s and stuff. People do things that they never thought they would do. They didn't know they had violence and hate and stuff inside of them. And they were terrified that this had come out of them. So I sat down with them, and I asked what happened. And she said to me, um, well, you, tr you tried to kill me. And I was like, I, when did I try to kill you? And she goes, well, the other day when we got in the car, and I had an old car that, like, in order to get the brakes to work, you had to stand on it just about, old standard brakes that we had. And the car that we used in the house to take people to appointments had power brakes. And so we got to the very first stop sign, and I went, I didn't understand this. I, don't, I think it was the first time I drove it. I went to put the brakes on, and I just barely, I stomped on them like I was for my car. And all of a sudden, she went flying forward, and she said, you tried to kill me. And I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, one little misunderstanding, one little miscommunication, and all of a sudden, there was an uproar, and she goes, but that wasn't the only thing. I said, what? She goes, you ate my cereal in the morning. And I was like, I did? And I said, is your name on the box? No. And I said, well, then I probably thought it was a house cereal. And she goes, no, you're trying to kill me. And I was like, and even though it was a simple thing, it made me think a lot because it is the simple things that puts us off on these crazy trajectory, trajectories, I can't ever say that word, of which we didn't intend to be on. Now I want you to look in the life, this is the life of Paul. So we're going to turn to the book of Acts. Here it is. 8.3. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, 
he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Here is Saul, who thinks that he's right. Here is Saul, who thinks that he is led of God. Here is Saul, who is going house to house, pulling people out and putting them in prison. Men, women, anybody. Here is Saul, who is functioning on a misunderstanding of who God was, of what God was doing. He was going a hundred miles in the other direction, persecuting the people of God because Paul had a misunderstanding. And he had a beautiful pedigree, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Roman of Romans. I mean, he had this, he says, perfect. You know, he, he was a man who did everything right, and he had the wrong direction. So here we are in our generation, in this hour of insane chaos. And I ask myself, what is the information that we have been fed? Every day. One of the studies I did in the past three months thinking about this subject was um, there is a program and it's called uh, Social Dilemma. It was on Netflix or something. But it was about the designers of Google and Pinterest and all of these social. And one of the things they began to talk about was the way they intentionally using psychiatrists, monitoring logarithms, and having top engineers, top people in the world. And they began to figure out how to get into your brain and my brain, and they began to figure out how to continuously draw your mind to advertisement. How to need it and need to be on that computer and need to be in Facebook and Google and all of those things. And they, they did it because they were trying to make money. Okay? And they made money. But the problem was is they had figured out how to get into our brains, into the department of our brain that is over, is in charge of wants, our wants, our dopamine, so that we have to keep going. And it's a whole huge story. It's very interesting. All of them began to realize that they had kind of created a monster. Because not only could they, this is where they started, they said, what if we could get people to go out and vote? And they were very successful at it. But then the next question is, what if we can get people to vote the way we want them to vote? And you have to understand that was for sale. So if a person is trying to sell you a rubber boots, they can get online, they can pay a lot of money, and they can use the services of all this science that has been put into drawing you into buying. 
but then they begin to sell the ability to come into your brain and tell stories, whether they were true or not true. That's a little scary. Isn't that scary to you? Yeah, that's scary for me. So much so did this, they have such effect that there was one little thing that was, it made such a huge difference. They put a like button on about 2011 thinking, wouldn't this be nice? We could just get people to get on there and it would give you a little boost. Well, between 2011 and 2013, they didn't realize is that teenagers got on there and they were living for that like button. This brittle popularity. And if they didn't get clicks every day and they found a 61% rise in teen suicide, and a lot of other dysfunctions. And they went, oh my goodness. Because if somebody doesn't like you, then you're... So you have this, well, that was just one... And, and the people that created it were just floored because they had just done that for fun. When you start studying further what, the, what other countries have done with this technology and this ability, so I asked myself, Lord, I want to know what's true. Lord, help me to see the character of people. Lord, lift me above the chaos and whatever I'm being fed. And I began to cut off a lot of things. And I began to go back and say, I want to go back, Jesus. I want to see people as people, not as Democrats or Republicans. I want to go back and recognize that we, you and me as Christians, we are the dispensary of hope. It's not my job to be out there. My job is to dispense hope to the world. My job is to bring healing to people who feel that need for anger and hatred and violence on every side. Please don't think I'm choosing one side or the other because I have stepped away from that. And I've asked God to rebalance me and to remember why he saved me and that our whole goal and purpose is to allow Jesus to change the hearts of men. Martin Luther King saw this in the, in the last parts of his ministry. He talked about, he began to wonder if men needed, if they needed to look down on somebody else, really look down on them. If they felt cut off from their right to be angry and hate. And one of, for me, the most profound statements he ever wrote was that he, after being prosecuted, persecuted, jailed, beaten, watching his friends being beaten to death, watching wonderful people being put in prison, and he went through so much, and a lot of the people came to him and said, we need to fight back. 
We need to, and when they call us names, we need to call them names. And when they say we need to fight. And he said, it came upon him. And he said, I saw the temptation. I felt the temptation because I was so hurt. And he said, I had this temptation to look and I began to realize I thought of myself as superior, superior in righteousness, that I was the good and righteous and God-centered and they were the horrors out there. He said, when I saw that in myself, that tend to um, stereify, I can't see the... It went out of my head. To, to look at people and, and begin to put them all in one little category. He said he realized he was on the wrong side because that was not what God was calling. God called him to love his enemies. That's huge. Love your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully use you. He said, and I began to be aware I was fighting, and I, I've used this before, I was fighting for the bodies of black men, but for the souls of white men. And I'm starting to look as I see this pattern repeating again in history, us against them. The mixing of politics, and then you add a little God in there so that on either side. I've seen it now on both sides. We, you know, and we end up taking what is glory and we use it for unholy license to do whatever we want. We are the dispensary of hope. We are to love our enemies and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's our call. This is not an easy sermon for me to preach. I like nice sermons that are fun. But I know that God is calling me to do something higher than what I'm seeing and to not get caught in it. And I'm thankful that he let me see a picture of myself and how I was beginning to think, you know. Whenever, um, as God is, as things are getting crazier and crazier, it is harder and harder to do this. But to know and recognize even the people that are doing the craziness, they go home and they love their families. They're not all who they are in the moment of the riot, in the moment. God is not on the side of the people that hit the cops in the head with the bat. God is not on the side of those who bear mace children in the face. God is not in that. God is not in these things where we destroy each other. pray about it, and I'm sure I didn't say everything perfectly well here, um, but my hope is that as we come back as a church, no matter what your 
political vision is, no matter where you are, no matter what has happened, that you would begin to put your eyes so solidly on Christ in this hour, on the salvation that is he is offering out. Um, and I think, I think that's all I have. I just guard your hearts. Look at Paul. Look at him. Look at all the people that he killed before he realized he was doing the wrong thing. And then you see him standing up, and as he's preaching, there's others that are now trying to (laughs) take him down. I mean, we see it in our history. This is part of who we are. At the end of Martin Luther's life, he talked about that he had stood up and looked over, and he could see the promised land. I love this country. This is not my home. Our home is heaven, and we need to bring as many people as we can, and we need to, when Paul was confronted, and they began to poison the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. It's a little piece of scripture. And I, I don't even know if I gave you that piece. Did I give you a one last piece from Acts 14? I should use it. It says, in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue, and there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time and considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miracles and signs. If we are willing to turn our eyes away to begin to question what we have been told and begin to know this is what is true, we know that, and begin to preach boldly, maybe we can undo some of the things, the chaos. We love you all and uh, appreciate your time and appreciate you bearing with me on a kind of difficult subject. Thank you so much. Oh, closing prayer. Could you pray with me? Father, I know that I am a... I hope I covered everything in the right way. I just ask that you would bless us. I thank you for letting me see in myself superior attitudes and I pray father that I lay it down and I ask you to help me because it's so easy to do that help me Lord lift me above my human nature and let me be more like you you never considered yourself better than anybody but you fought for everybody father I want to follow you more Bless our church. Help us as we see things the way they're going. And just help us to rise above it. Show us how and give us patience with each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.